Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. not very often that I preach an entire book of the Bible, but that's kind of what we're going to do today in the book of Jonah. Anybody ever heard the phrase, the long arm of the law? The long arm of the law. This is a a phrase that became popular in the 1900s, began to be used uh, both in the UK and, and the United States. The long arm of the law. It describes the extended reach of law enforcement. So if you were to get in your car today and leave here and an officer tried to pull you over and you decided that you just weren't going to stop and you sped away and and maybe you could outrun that officer. But depending on where you're at, that officer would be on the radio and he would be making a call to dispatch and they would tell other officers which direction you were going and, and someone else would pick you up. Or maybe there would be a helicopter that would spot you from the sky and they would put the big spotlight on you. And, and there's the, the far-reaching extent of law enforcement. I've seen an officer making a point. Um, he was in a school and he was challenging one of the, the kids to a race. And so that's how the race started out. The kid was there and he was there. And he said, what are you, Mark? He said, go. And the kid started to take off running. The officer just grabbed his microphone and started talking in it to, to prove the point to this kid. You're not going to outrun the law. The law has, it has a long, long arm. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reach you. Um, books have been written compiling stories of British law enforcement pursuing and capturing various criminals. Western movies have been made about the long arm of the law. That just sounds like a Western movie. You know? Long arm of the law. And there's, there's this, this fascination. It could be said of our Lord that he has such an arm. You're not going to outrun Jesus. You're not going to get away from him. You're not going to somehow evade his watchful eye. One day, all of humanity will stand before him and be judged. Every single person that has taken in air and exhaled carbon dioxide will stand before the Lord. We're not going to get away from him. Yet some will escape his wrath. None are going to escape his judgment, but some will escape his wrath. Acts chapter 4 and verse 33 says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There could be much attention given to the long arm of the law. But today I feel prompted to preach to us about the long arm of grace. The long arm of grace. Because as far reaching as the law may be. The Lord has the ability to reach far into the lives of people with works of grace. When we breach this topic of grace, it's important for us to understand that God is gracious. This is not something that he possesses, but rather it's something that he is. He is a gracious God. Exodus 22 and 27 says, For that his covering only... 
It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear for I am gracious. And I'm not going to focus on the context of this scripture, but I want us to realize what God says about himself. He says, I am gracious. It's a quality. It's innate within me. I am gracious. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 9 says, For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So again, it's stated not that God possesses Grace, but that he he is a gracious God. Psalms one sixteen and verse five, and this is just I just picked one out. The Psalms are full of statements like this, but it says, "Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. Gracious is the Lord. Grace is not a tool at God's disposal. It is a defining characteristic of who He is." It's important for us to determine that at the outset of any conversation about grace, because if I view grace as a tool at God's disposal, then I'm constantly wondering whether or not he will utilize that tool in my life. Oh, I messed up again. I sure hope God uses grace. Oh, I I don't have the talent or the abilities I need to fulfill what it is he's calling to. I I wonder if he's going to use grace this time. And so if we, if we mentally view God as having a, a workbench of things before Him, and, and out of all of those things that He could pick and choose, grace is one of them, then we constantly question whether or not we're going to receive grace in our moment of trial or tribulation. But when I understand that it's not something that He chooses to pick up and put down, but it, it is within Him, it is part of who He is, then I can understand that grace is always available. God cannot separate Himself from grace. He is gracious. He declares that this of Himself, and He uses others that He prompts through the, the Holy Ghost to write these words, that He is a gracious, gracious God. We go to the book of Jonah, which at first glance is an unusual place to pick up and begin to study grace. But as I read through it recently, it it is one act of grace after another. One act of grace after another. So we're going to begin to make our way through the book of Jonah, and I'm going to just take... Take the acts as I see them, and, and we're going to walk through them. Jonah, starting right in the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Right in the beginning. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amadadi, saying. See, that's an act of grace already. Grace being receiving something that I do not deserve. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was called to a ministry. Jonah was given a purpose by God, and it was not of his own merit or his own deserving. We're going to walk through this book, and we're going to see that that really Jonah was a jerk. 
Jonah had issues in his life, and yet God said, you know what, Jonah? You don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you a calling. I'm going to give you a ministry. When we come into the house of God and we enter into our times of prayer, or or we're, we're listening to worship songs and we're entertaining the presence of God, and the Lord begins to speak to us, we need to understand already that we are on the receiving end of grace, that God of heaven would take the time to talk to little old me. That's an act of grace. The call of God is an extension of grace. The invitation to minister on His behalf is a great honor and one that we do not deserve of our own merit. The ministries that sometimes we view as just tasks that have to be completed, the things that we do to teach Sunday school or to minister to our family or to clear the sidewalk, as I mentioned earlier, and we think, well, this is, just a, this is just a job that I have to do. And yet, really, when we look at it, God is saying, I'm choosing you to do a job for me. I want you to represent me to my people. I want you to represent me to those that are lost and hurting. And that's an honor that is given to us that we do not deserve. It is an extension of grace. Paul says it like this in Romans 1 and 5, by whom we have received grace, an apostleship. He said, I'm an apostle of the Lord. And you know how I got that? By grace. It's by the grace of God that I, I'm an apostle. He later says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 9 and 10, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not made to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I'm completely unworthy to be even, even be considered an apostle. I was running around doing bad things to good people. I, I was persecuting the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He said, I didn't deserve this ministry. I didn't deserve this opportunity to serve God's people and to serve the Lord. But because of grace, I was afforded an opportunity. Jonah experiences an act of grace before we ever get out of the first verse. Now we go to verse number two. We find another act of grace. Arise. So the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. There's the grace of a sent messenger. That God looked down and he saw a city of Nineveh. And if we were to, if we were to track Nineveh back, we'd go, we'd go back to the Tower of Babel. We go, we go further than that. We go back to a man by the name of Nimrod, who was a rebellious individual. It, this entire city has its, its heritage in a, a place of disobedience. And God says that the wickedness of this city has so caught my attention that I want, you to, I want you to go and cry against this city. Let them know that my wrath is coming. And this sounds like a bad thing. When someone comes into your life and, and they begin to talk and, and conviction comes along with what they're saying. And they call you on the carpet for things that you've done wrong. And we go, oh no, this is a bad thing. But God is saying, listen, I, I want to extend grace to the city of Nineveh. I want to let them know that there is, there is destruction in their path. And that's a, that's a message of grace 
Amid the wickedness, the Lord is gracious to them and he sends a servant. Sort of reminds me of the passage of Scripture that says, while, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of my mess, when I was way worse off than Nineveh, and I was living my own life, rebelling, doing my own thing, there was somebody who came. Before I ever took breath into my nostrils, there was one who died on a cross for me. And not only that, he didn't just do that and say, well, I hope they figure it out. I hope they get it together. I did my part. I died for their sins. That would have been enough. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm living like a fool way down in Alabama, living my life how I want to, doing the things I want to do. And God sends somebody that says, hey, why don't you come and visit us for the summer in Minnesota? All the way across the country. And I thought I was coming up here to make a couple dollars and to, to visit some family for a little while and go home. But God says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm extending grace. I'm sending a messenger into your pathway that's going to tell you the truth. And you're going to be exposed to something that you didn't know before. And every single one of you have your own story to tell of a time when somebody came into your life with a message that changed everything. Whether you were raised in church and that message was the parents who, who finally communicated to you at an age of understanding or whether you came out of the world, it doesn't matter. At some point in time, God extended grace to you at a moment when you could understand. And grace, grace was extended. We won't read verse 3, but we see that Jonah, I told you, the guy was, he was kind of messed up. He wasn't, a, wasn't a, a nice guy, apparently. He didn't like Nineveh. And so when the Lord said, go to Nineveh, um, he went the other way. He decides, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm not going to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Um, I'm just not going to. And so he gets on a boat with some uh, mariners, some fishermen, and, and, and they're transporting stuff. I don't know what all they were doing. It just tells us they were mariners. And they're off to Tarshish, which is in the wrong direction. And it's been said, and people speculate, well, he was afraid to go to Nineveh. But the Scripture will tell us later that was not his motivation in not wanting to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God was gracious. And he didn't like them, and he didn't want them to receive grace. And so he wanted to hold back this message of salvation, this message of, that would bring about conviction to himself. And so here he is on this boat on his way to Tarshish, and God again sends grace. And this time it doesn't look like grace because it shows up in the form of a storm. Verse 4 says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. You say, well, that doesn't sound like grace. No, that was, that was grace. Because Jonah was walking away from God. Jonah was, he already had both feet out the door. He was going in the opposite direction. Talk about backsliding. He was running away from God. He was ruining his relationship with the Lord. He was acting in a, a spirit of disobedience. This nation that he was sent to, to confront, he was now exhibiting the same traits of the people that he didn't like because they were so rebellious and they were so ungodly. And now he finds himself in rebellion to the Lord. And instead of saying, well, Jonah, I gave you an opportunity. We say things in church sometimes and they're true to an extent. If you don't act on what God's telling you to do, then he'll just find somebody else to do it. And that's true. God's work is not going to go by the wayside because of our disobedience. But he doesn't give up on us that easy. He didn't just say, okay, Johnny, you know what? I got other prophets. I'll just speak to one of them. 
He sends this storm into Jonah's life and, and everything's falling apart. The, the boat's about to be torn into pieces. And Jonah's sleeping in the boat and all the other guys are freaking out. They don't know what to do. They're, they're, they're not godly people. It says they're praying to their gods. They're, they're all praying to different gods. They're trying to figure they're throwing stuff off the boat just to try to stay alive. They're scared to death and they finally wake Jonah up and they say, what, what's your problem? Don't you, can't you tell we're in a bad situation? And they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and, and the truth comes out. Jonah is confronted with the fact that, yes, guys, I'm sorry, this is, this is all my fault. And you've got to imagine this conversation isn't taking place when they're all huddled around in a, in a nice little circle. But they're, they're literally flailing around, around the boat. They're in a storm. Everything's crazy. And, and it's the storm that brings Jonah face to face with his disobedience. Peaceful waters and smooth sailing would not have turned Jonah's course. He would have gone right to Tarshish. So sometimes we're, we're in a storm and, and we're wondering, why is all this happening? It's because God's trying to get our attention. That storm, that trial that we're so eager to get out of is God's effort to get a hold of us and to make us realize that we're doing something He does not approve of. And to bring our attention back to Him. It comes down to the point where the, they, they figure out that it's Jonah and, and they say, well, well, what do we do? And Jonah says, well, here's what you got to do. You got to take me and you got to throw me out of the boat. You got to throw me, throw me out of the boat. <clears throat> he, God could have been justified in stripping Jonah of his ministry. He could have just allowed Jonah to sail away into the sunset and be comfortable for the moment, but destined for hell. But his grace provoked him to send hardship to the life of Jonah that would direct him back to a place of obedience and calling. It was the trial in Jonah's life that God used as a moment of grace. We see here grace upon the ignorant. And I don't use that word as an insult. The other mariners did not know. The Bible tells us, like I said... Um, that they prayed each to their gods. Jonah 1, 15 and 16. This is after they tried really hard. Jonah said, throw me in the water and, and it'll all stop. And they must have had some kind of compassion on him because it said they, they worked really hard not to do that. And it was to no avail. The storm that God had created was not going to be smoothed over by the efforts of men. And so it, it wasn't working. And so finally, verse 15 says, they took up Jonah... And cast him forth into the sea. And the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. While the focus of God seems to be on Jonah and the city of Nineveh, he does not miss the opportunity to extend grace to the mariners that were caught up in the mix. These guys, they're just like the, the fill-ins. They're not even really a part of the story. He just happened to get on their boat. They didn't do anything to get sucked into the storm. It wasn't their fault. They did not know God. They weren't out to wrong God. And, and the Lord could have just, he could have just dealt with it in a way that didn't involve them. But he says, you know what? While I'm, while I'm working on reaching Nineveh, and while I'm working on trying to, to get Jonah's heart right, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to affect the lives of these guys that don't know anything about me. And there's grace extended to them because their understanding is open. And while they all started out, it says they were praying to all their own gods. 
I don't know what gods they were praying to, but none of those gods stopped the storm. But the true God did. And it says these people stood back and they feared the Lord. For the first time, they came in contact with the fact that, wow, there's a God that actually responds. There's a God that can actually do something in my life. It says they feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and they made vows to God. See, the relationship was born. The scripture doesn't tell us the end of these men's lives. But it was in this moment that God said, you know, while we're here, I might as well extend some grace this way too. I might as well allow the long arm of grace to reach into to their lives. We see the premeditated grace of God take place next. Premeditated. Jonah 1 and 17, they throw him in the water. That had to be weird too. Throw him in the water. Raging storm stops. There's Jonah floating in the water. Now what do we do? Do we, do we put him back in the boat? Do we not? <laughs> we, just, we just read through these things. We Sunday school eyes these things way too much sometimes. Jonah's floating in the water, and out of nowhere, they're trying to figure out what to do, and God says, you know what? I've already got a plan in place. And a big fish comes and eats Jonah. No wonder they feared the Lord. I've been making some vows too. Lord, if you get me back to dry land, I'll never come on the ocean again. Never. Just, just get me to the closest shoreline. That's going to be my home from now on. All these things, these things really happened. But this is what the Bible says in Jonah 1 and 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Before they ever made the decision to throw him overboard, God said, I, I, I know what's going to happen here. And I'm going I'm to prepare a fish. And I'm going to make sure that fish is in the right spot. And I'm going to make sure that fish is hungry. And I'm going to make sure that fish likes to, to eat things with two legs swimming like this. He, he prepared. He already premeditated this extension of grace. Say, really? Getting eaten by a, a, a giant fish was an extension of grace? Yes, that was an extension of grace. Because it was the vehicle that carried Jonah back to his calling. It was the final straw where Jonah was, was left alone. And all the noise of the sea was gone. And, and he was in a dark place and there was no other people around. And he had to, he had to come face to face with his decisions before the Lord. And, and chapter 2 is a prayer of Jonah where he begins to cry out to God and ask for, for mercy. And that fish was an extension of grace. He's quite literally consumed by God's grace. God's grace starts putting together a plan to give him a chance to repent before he's ever at that place. See, this is what we don't realize sometimes, and, and I mentioned it in a uh, Bible study or a time of prayer recently, that sometimes we pray, we want God to bring about salvation in somebody's life. And we pray and we pray and we pray, but we have to understand God will not violate their free will. So we can't pray them into salvation. What we're really asking God to do, God premeditate a plan where your grace can reach them. Put a, put a great fish in their path, Lord. Put, put something in their path. Give them every opportunity possible to, to turn their heart back to you. Before Jonah was ever ready to repent, before he was ever to a place where he'd say, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. God said, I've, I've got a fish that's prepared. 
I've got a, a, an extension of grace that can reach him if he, if he just gets to the point. And it, it worked in Jonah's life. We see the grace of second chances. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. God's desire to use Jonah was not deterred by his failure. Unlike us, and the way we view things sometimes, God's confidence in Jonah was not deterred by his failure. The message that Nineveh needed was not derailed by his failure. His entire ministry was not sacrificed due to his failure. Because failure in this life is not final. We see failure sometimes as, as the end of the road. Well, that's, that's as far as they can go. That's all. There's no coming back from that. But the long arm of grace can reach beyond the failures of man and can complete the work that it desired to do in the first place. Second chances are a specialty of God. Amen. It says the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. A second time. And then when we read the message, it's the same message. It wasn't, well, Jonah, you really messed it up. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to still let you be used, but, but not like you were before. Because God's message was the same. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the preaching that I bid thee. Grace does not overlook or excuse failure. I'm not preaching sloppy grace today that, that he was used in the midst of his failure. God had to deal with his failure first. It does not overlook or excuse failure. It does, however, walk us through those seasons and position us to continue moving forward once they are dealt with. Grace doesn't say, oh, you're living in sin. Oh, well, let's move forward anyways. Grace says, I'm going to extend opportunities for you to change and for you to alter that sin. I'm going to use opportunities for you to remedy that failure and then we can move forward. Grace says that your relationship with your children is not lost and your marriage can be saved and your ministry is redeemable and your dreams are still attainable. Grace says, let's try again. Let's try this again, Jonah. Heard the, I heard your voice before, Lord. Now I hear it again. What's the new message? Well, it's the same message I gave you last time, Jonah. My, my word hasn't changed. I want you to go to Nineveh. We see the grace of salvation in this book. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. Jonah makes his way into Nineveh and he, he goes. It, scripture says it was a great city. It was a big city. It says that it was a, a city that would take you three days to, to make your way from one side to the other. So you're walking through the city. It's going to take you three days. Jonah makes his way a, a day into the city. So he's close to the center and he begins to preach. Forty days from now, you're all going to be consumed. He doesn't preach hope. He doesn't preach repent. He doesn't preach turn or burn. He just says you're all going to burn. And Jonah, he, he's still not where he needs to be. He's still not right. And he's, he's preaching this message of damnation. You're, you're all going to be consumed. That's what's going to happen. God is going to come to the city in 40 days with, with fire and brimstone and you're all going to die. 
End of the message. No altar call. Just here to let you know what's going to happen. And in response to this, the people begin to repent. Without any promise of redemption, they begin to say, we've, we've wronged God. And the word gets to the king and he says, you want him declaring a fast. I don't want any person. I don't want any animal to eat or drink. Let's clothe ourselves in sackcloth and ashes. Let's, let's humble ourselves before God. And just maybe he'll have mercy upon us. We get to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them. And He did it not. When confronted with the message of God's judgment, the people of Nineveh repented. He extends to them the undeserved mercy that they sought. We're not much different than the people of Nineveh. Right. None of us found ourselves standing in a place where we were like, man, life's pretty good. I've handled myself pretty well. In fact, I've done everything right. God must extend to me salvation. No, we didn't find ourselves there. We found ourselves when, when we came face to face with our flesh and our humanity and the reality that we were a sinful people. And we were confronted by the word of God that says no sin is going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we didn't have a chance, except we did have a chance. Second Timothy one and nine says, who hath saved us, who here talking about Jesus, hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. See, we think it's amazing that God had a, a big fish already planned to, to do a work in the life of Jonah. Well, he had a, a cross already planned at the foundation of the world before anyone ever sinned. He said, you know what? There's a good chance that they're going to fall short. So I'm going to put a plan of grace in place. I'm going to put a plan of redemption in place so that, so that I can redeem them. I can extend grace to them and bring about salvation to their life. Amen. You know, apostolics ought to still believe that we're saved by grace. Amen. Sometimes we get real nervous people start preaching that. Don't, don't take away from, from our obedience. And I'm not taking away from our obedience. We're not saved by our works. To be, to be baptized without an understanding that it's God doing the work is to none effect. To be baptized without an understanding that, that Jesus Christ is going to do something miraculous in these waters and He's going to wash away my sins. To live a holy life without understanding that like Paul said in the scripture we read earlier, he said, he said the grace of God was not bestowed on me in vain. I labored more abundantly than them all. But not me. It was the grace of God working in me that caused me to do these things. And understanding that we're saved by grace doesn't take away from the New Testament message of salvation, of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, infilling of the Holy Ghost, living a holy lifestyle. It just underscores the emphasis of God's work in that process. We are saved by grace. We see here... Grace and grief. There are times in life that we will grieve and we'll go through things that we don't enjoy. And it's in those moments 
that we need grace maybe more than ever. And Jonah, I told you, is kind of a jerk. He preaches this message of, of damnation, and God says, you know what? Good job, Jonah. Now I'm going to extend grace because they've turned. And Jonah pouts and throws a fit and goes up on a hill and sits down and stares at the city hoping that the Lord was just joking and he's still going to destroy them and, and he wants to be there to see it. And it says in, in Jonah 4 and 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head and delivered him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Here's Jonah sitting up on a hillside. God's already said he's going to extend grace. He's sitting up there pouting, watching, waiting for the city to be destroyed. And it's hot. And it's miserable. And the Bible says that, that even in that place, God's seen Jonah in his grief and causes a, a plant, a gourd, to grow up behind him and give him some shade at this moment. He didn't deserve that. I mean, sun was, was the least of the things he deserved. You're being a fool, John. Come on, get it together. And God says, yeah, but, but I love John. trying to reach John. So I, I've sent the storm, and, and man, I put him in the well. Maybe, maybe, maybe this act of grace will, will turn John's heart. And so he, he sends a cord and sits over Jonah for a little while. And oh, man, he was happy. He was exceedingly glad for the cord. Not for the fact that God was sparing an entire nation. He was glad for the gourd. The Bible says that the Lord is very present help in time of trouble. We go through seasons of grief. God is there. His grace is there. But the final point that we have to extract from the book of Jonah is that there is an end of grace. There's an end of grace. Grace is a part of who God is. Like I said in the beginning, He does not separate Himself from grace. But there does come a point in time when God will not force His grace upon a person. And Jonah has refused the grace of God over and over and over. And so the next day, God causes a, a worm to come and to kill that gourd, that plant. And it shrivels up and it dies and Jonah gets mad all over again. Guy's like emotional, wrecked, happy, he's mad, he's, he's sad, he's just, he don't know what he is. And God begins to have a conversation with him, and he asked him something when he extended grace to Nineveh. The Bible says that Jonah got angry. And God said, do you do, you do well to be angry? And there's no answer. Maybe the smartest thing he could have done in that moment was to just keep his mouth shut. But now the gourd has, has been killed. God's grace is removed and he gets mad again. Jonah 4 and 9, and God said unto Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And Jonah gets to a place now where he, he's just, he's out there. I mean, he's, he's out of his mind apparently. He says, I do well to be angry even unto death. I'm taking this one with me to the grave. Really? Over a gourd? Over the fact that God extended grace to somebody you didn't like? So I'm going to be angry till the day I die. 
The long arm of grace will reach for the heart of man as long as there is still life to be lived. It can be seen in both blessings and hardships. The long arm of grace is persistent. It's powerful. But the Lord will not use it to overpower the will of man. So there does come a point where the will of man can refuse to accept this hand of grace that's been extended toward him. And it cannot, according to Scripture, reach beyond the grave. The worst thing we could do is, as humans, whether we're living for God or we're, we're in the process of struggling, people that aren't living for God, is to assume that tomorrow there will be another opportunity for grace. Because tomorrow is not promised. And when we breathe our last breath, the, the option to take hold of the hand of grace is removed. It's no longer there. It will be retracted in the final day of judgment. When the clouds split and, and, and we all have to stand before the white throne judgment, that's not going to be the time to, to be grasping for the hand of grace. Now, now it's time for another part of God. To be put on full display. So there is an end. The good news is today. Grace is available. It's available to every single person. From every single walk of life. Our friends. Our enemies. Our acquaintances. Strangers. Neighbors. Family members. Grace is available. If they need to repent. They can repent. If they need renewal. See, grace isn't, isn't just something that is extended to the lost. Let us get that right in our mind as people that live for God. Amen. We live in need of God's grace every single day. Wow. Every single day. And so in the times when what I really need, I may still look good on the outside, but what I need is renewal in the Holy Ghost. I need a fresh touch of God. His grace is there. The long arm of grace can reach into those situations. There's grace for your family. There's grace for your dreams. There's grace for your ministries. There's grace in your struggles. There's grace in your triumphs. We can find grace in seasons of joy, in seasons of grief, in times of confusion. There's grace in our sickness. There's grace when we have times of peace. There's grace in comfort. There's grace for what you said. There's grace for what you did. There's grace for what you didn't say and what you didn't do. Failure is not final. The long arm of grace can reach to where you are. Can reach to where you are. So as I close this message today, I'm just trying to, to remind us that grace is there. It's present and it's available. Wherever you're at, Whatever your, your phase in your walk with God, whatever the condition of your heart, whether people know or, or no one knows, the, the secret things that are only prayed when nobody else is around, God is aware. The things that the Lord has, has prodded you and provoked you to be involved in and, and you've resisted and, and you've stood back from, God's still working there. The Word of the Lord hasn't changed. The things that you think you messed up so bad that you can't come back from, God's grace is still there. It's a long, long, long arm of grace. It can reach into every situation. 
in every hour, if you're still taking in air, God's grace is still available. If the person that you're trying to work with is, is still alive on this planet, you say, man, I've tried so many times. I've tried so many things to get through to them. I, I've, I've done everything I can. Just, just keep trying. Just keep working because God's grace is, is present. They've just got to get to a place where they accept it. God is able to reach them with grace. I guess the last thing along these lines, if, if we're so in need of grace and we're so blessed to benefit from grace on a regular basis, then we ought to be people that are willing to extend grace. In fact, may the grace that we extend be the grace that God pours out into their life. Maybe, just maybe, our extending grace would turn their eyes to Jesus when they realize, I didn't deserve that. I said the wrong thing. I, I treated them badly. I, I upset them. I took advantage of them. But they, they forgave. They extended grace. They gave me what I did not deserve. And let that be a, a blinking arrow that points to the God we serve. Let them find themselves like the mariner standing on the boat saying, we now fear the Lord. We're going to make some vows to God. We're going to get right with Him. If you need grace today, it's available. I'm going to play some music, give you an opportunity to pray. Grace has, has a lot of different functions and does a lot of different works. So however you need grace today, reach out and take that hand. Whether it's a storm or whether it's a blessing, whatever the Lord is sending your way to, to try to bring grace into your life, take advantage of it today. Allow the Lord to do that work of grace.
Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. 
Thank you very much, and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.